I'll take some time to introduce our, our speaker, Art Earl, who was here in 1985 to 1991. And uh, I know this church is blessed because of your life and ministry. And Darlene, where's Darlene? Darlene, you're probably here somewhere. Are you here? Is she here today? Darlene, thank you for your ministry here too. We love you and we know and we feel very loved by you and Art. And um, thank you for also being here. Thank you for your ministry at the Behavioral Medicine Center. Um, Art is the Administrative Director of Adult Services at the Behavioral Medicine Center here in Loma Linda. And um, I know my wife who works there is very blessed by you there as administrator as well. And so thank you for who you are and thanks for the word you come to share with us today. So let's, let's welcome Art here today. So if we can have those go up. Um, this first picture is uh, just of uh, our four kids. And we have Ryan and Sonia and Laura and Lisa. Laura and Lisa are twins. And I think I see it one, maybe two of them here today. All right, we'll look at the next one. I think, oh, these are the women in my life. <laughs> Wife surrounded by her daughters. And the next picture is of my son, uh, Ryan, his wife, Stephanie, little daughter, Ellie. Uh, they have another one. They just moved up to Montana. They're a long ways away. He's now in Kalispell at the hospital there uh, where he works in outpatient PT services. On the next picture, we have Tal and Sonia Hooker. And we also have Lexi and Ty. And if that name sounds familiar, that's because Tal up there on the picture is the youngest son of Bill and Marie Hooker, sitting right back here. And they've been members here for a long time. And we just get to have a lot of fun with the greatest grandchildren you can ever imagine. <laughs> All right, the next picture, this is one of our twins. This is Lisa, her husband Wayne. They live down in San Juan Capistrano where she's an OT for the school system down there. And uh, twins do things together. And she had a baby a week and a half ago. And now you'll see the next one. And this is Laura, the other twin. Uh, her daughter, Hannah, her husband, Rick, and she had a baby three months ago. So they got together on something. So that's our family, and we enjoy them very much. When I was here pastoring, I, I did a sermon in which I introduced the sermon by playing my trumpet. Uh-oh, I hear some... I didn't know until afterwards that they were heading for the exit as I was still playing. I played badly. And uh, Mike, you know, he's a good musician and he had to endure a bad musician. But that was part of what I was trying to communicate. That was part of my point. And I remember um, after the sermon was over, I was back out in the foyer and uh, I was greeting people. And some of you know this name, some of you don't, but there was a man by the name of Jess Ditburner. Jess had been a pastor, conference president. And so as I'm coming out, uh, Jess sees me, and he takes a hold of my hand, and he doesn't let go. And you know, when somebody takes a hold of your hand, you kind of know, well, maybe something else is coming. So Jess said to me, he says, Pastor, that was, that was quite an illustration you had for that sermon. But he said, I just need to have you know 
that I suffered through every note you played. <laughs> he started to turn away, and this is what's so important, but he said, but you can get away with it here at Calamesa. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget that. I started to think about what Jess was trying to say. And I started to connect a few dots, and I started to listen to what people had said when they had come back. And I heard from a number of people as they came back that they had been out looking for churches, gone to other states, whatever, and they hadn't quite found a place like Calamesa. I even heard from Clarence uh, Schilt when he was here uh, two weeks ago, talked for a few minutes after church, and he says, I'm with you. It's a special place. And I've experienced that specialness in many different ways. Really what I would call a healthy church is what Jess was talking about. And I've experienced it I, just last Sabbath in July. Chris Church was up here with his guitar. And he says to us, now don't forget, next month is the beginning of what? Babadon. Now for many of you who don't catch that joke, that's an inside joke. We'll leave it there. The experienced church is, is it's experienced in what we just did with Alice. It's experienced when Heidi was facing her lung transplant. It's experienced in so many multiple different ways. I was kind of chiding uh, Bob Wilson, who was sitting here this morning. And you know, Bob is kind of known for his children's stories, isn't he? And uh, he usually has us rolling in the aisles because he's poking fun at himself. And I thought to myself, that's a healthy church. And my question to you this morning is, how did we get that way? What makes us healthy? What are those ingredients? So that's why I've entitled the sermon, The Healthy Ingredients of Religion. But it's also as it relates to us personally and it relates to us as a congregation. So the text that was read to us this morning, found over there in Mark 12, as we look at it, Jesus got right to the point, didn't he? He didn't waste any time. And he says, our purpose for living is love God, love others. Pretty simple. You know, I've looked at this text before, and you say, uh-huh, looks pretty good. Okay, let's move on. So I think sometimes, I know I haven't always taken it as seriously as I should, but there's a lot in that text. Love God, love others. So that brings us to the word love. We've got to know what that's talking about. Now, Pastor John, you have done a great job of teaching us about agape love in the Bible. And we know it's not about a feeling. It's really more about an action. It's not about some sentimental feeling you have about your neighbor, but as a number of commentators have pointed out, it's really about the intent of goodwill or the desire for well-being. So I think we need to understand that that's what Jesus was saying here. If you go to the book of Luke and you find the same account, you'll discover that Luke adds on a little bit more. Luke adds on the story of the Good Samaritan in which somebody is doing somebody for something else and they're crossing cultural lines. They're crossing the lines that are usually being crossed, perhaps even 
like a policy. There was a church I came to some time back, been quite a few years. I came to that church, and early um, in that church, I attended a board meeting. And I remember in that board meeting, somebody kind of said to me, um, we have three individuals who are divorced, and they're asking for their memberships to be transferred. What do you think? I said, well, we'll just go to the board. hope we can transfer those members. And as you know, if you think back quite a while, um, the church struggled with some of those things. Knowing what to do, got to really check this out. I'm not quite sure if it was a policy or not, but it wasn't always immediately granted. And sometimes it took a long time. And I can remember this discussion going back and forth. And finally, I remember somebody saying, I'm going to make a motion but before I make that motion. I can't imagine the pain that people go through when they go through the tragedy of a divorce. I think we need to support anybody who's leaving Cala Mesa and wants to still be connected to the church. That church was Cala Mesa right after I came here. And it gave me a picture into the heart and soul of Cala Mesa. Well-being extended across some of those lines that we didn't always cross. I think it's important that we look at the sequence in Jesus' words here. He talks about loving God, loving others, and it's a three-way deal. And you say, wait a minute, there's just two you mentioned. No, it's three-way. I think sometimes we get things kind of turned around a little bit, and it's really about God loving us and us responding to God, that's number two, and then it moves off to somebody else. God takes the initiative. I don't know how that strikes you. It tells me I'm essential for God. I'm essential for God's fulfillment, maybe. Wow. Could that really be true? Well, if I look at the last chapters in Revelation, I would say yes, because there is the grand wedding pictured. And there is the Lamb and the people. And that is when our God finds ultimate fulfillment when we are together. When we are around people, it's sometimes pretty difficult. And that's because of our human nature. I don't know what it is that um, might push your buttons. Sometimes there's cranky neighbors whatever it might be. But I got a call this last weekend, and some of you may be able to identify with this. So I got this call, and I'd just gotten home, and Darlene said, hey, do you mind taking the phone? And I grabbed the phone, and immediately it was the people from the Renewable Energy Source. Now, some of you have gotten that call. And it was only about the fifth call that I had had that week about it, and I said to them earlier, can you take me off your call list, please? And I didn't feel very kind and very generous at that particular time. It can be a real struggle to do the good thing, the well-being, the generous thing that the agape love is talking about. But we have to remember that Jesus took the first step. He loved us before we loved him. That's what 1 John is talking about. He extended that to us. 
And maybe a way we need to look at it is that we're responding to God and we need to accept the love He has and we need to some understand His grace. It's real important to understand that special love. Last week when McThurber was here, he talked about something that was kind of close to my heart. He, he talked about the special love that is demonstrated when it talks in the Bible about adoption. That's close to my heart because I'm adopted. And I thought about what was said, and I've looked at that before, and in fact, I've struggled with that before. And I could remember, it kind of took me back to when I was probably in my early teens, and I was trying to sort this all out in my mind. How should I view myself? Should I see myself as given away at birth? That's one option. Or should I look at myself as being loved? As I listen to my parents, wonderful people who love me, let me know in many ways that I was very special. I finally sorted that out and landed on, I'm going to live like I'm loved. It had a profound change in my view and how I live my life living loved. And I think that's what we need to do in this whole process. I think Jesus is saying, live love first. And once you have seen my grace, once you have seen Jesus on the cross, once you have seen that there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore, that's living in love to accept that. Jesus loves us just the way we are, but the interesting thing is He doesn't leave us where we are. Hmm. So, living in love and loving others brings us something else, and that is meaning and purpose in life. I've never heard of any great artist, any great musician, writer, philanthropist, anybody who really experience meaning and purpose in their life just by doing the things that they were good at. You can read up on the stories. And when you come to the end of the stories, they all are going to say the meaning and the purpose in life connected when we were doing something for other people. And this church is so aware of that. Well, we've been down to Rotan I don't know how many times. Before that, via Trinidad and other places. And I was so tickled with the uh, video that was shown here uh, not very long ago as you folks came back from Roatan. And the interest you took in that video of the little boy that had the GoPro strapped to the front and he was running around through the trees and everything, we had a wonderful time viewing that. Why? Because it connected us where our money had gone, where our ch church folks had gone. It put us there. Service is always linked into meaning and purpose. Living loved and loving others is the greatest change agent. It is essential to change. It is the hallmark of change. You know, it's really interesting that the early church really got branded, so to speak, because of their actions of love. It is really love that makes all the difference in the world. 
when we see those actions. And what we sometimes don't know inside the church is that people outside the church are not going to pay a lot of attention to what we say until they see something else. My lesson in that came as I was doing some patient groups a number of years ago when I was doing them as a chaplain. And I can remember um, this fairly young guy saying, I need to talk to the chaplain after group. So I waited after group and the room emptied and he said, chaplain, there's something that you need to know. Us non-church folks don't pay a whole lot of attention to what you say until we see what you do. Hmm. Got to match things up. Things have got to be congruent. I often hear it. Somebody will say, can they walk their talk? These things have to match up for this to really be effective. Walk your talk, and then things are very effective. Story comes from Alabama, where there were two prisoners in a cell. And they were there for a while and got to know each other, but one suddenly died of a heart attack. And uh, before he died of the heart attack, he had really had a, uh, a conversion. It seemed to be very authentic. It lasted for a long time. He wasn't going to get out of prison just because he found the Lord type of thing. So it seemed very authentic. And he began to um, talk to cellmates and things about um, the Bible, about Jesus, what he was finding. He would uh, copy down verses and pass them through the cell bars. And when candy would come, or chocolate or something special from a relative, he always shared it. The other people around him, though, were real cynics. And they said, you know, you need to give up this religion stuff. That's just for the people who are kind of weak in the head. Um, it's just a step toward insanity. You don't know what you're doing. When it came time for the funeral of this one person, they allowed a number of the prisoners who were very close to come where the chaplain was doing the, the service and the chaplain was conducting the service and he was um, starting to talk about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and what that meant at a time like this. One of those men stood up in the middle and interrupted the chaplain and says, Chaplain, that's the only Jesus I've ever seen. So often it all begins with our actions. Living loved and loving others is also something that is really good for our health. We've known for about 25 years now that uh, having connection to church is a, a healthy thing. And then a little bit later we begin to do some more research and we begin to find that people who are a part of a church live longer. You've heard it, the Blue Zone, Time Magazine. What's happening is research is beginning to shift a little bit. For a long time, research was about looking at cells and about discovering what were the causes of diseases, not always hooking up all the other things, such as what made a person healthy. So there was a shift. And there were some very interesting things that began to come out about discovering about connection. It's called positive resonance, it's called brain synchrony, um, a lot of different things like that, all meaning the same thing, and it's talking about connecting with people. And I think we're going to put a slide up here, which is going to come from Barbara Fredrickson. She wrote this book, Love 2.0, and the subtitle is Creating Happiness and Health 
in moments of connection. So Barbara says, love is a connection. Love blossoms virtually any time two or more people, even strangers, connect over a shared positive emotion. Now, notice this next slide. The always present fingerprint of love is your investment in the, what's that word? Well-being, where have I heard that before? Agape means this. Made me take note. Investment in the well-being of another for his or her own sake. Fantastic. They're learning that as we connect with people, even over a very simple thing of rescuing a kitten out of a drain, watching turtles hatch on the beach, going to Roatan, talking with somebody after church, connecting about prayer, talking on the phone. All these are the positive connections. It needs to be a positive connection in there to really make it effective. These are very important, and these are beginning to change people. And sometimes it's just simply a, a positive connection for somebody you meet new, but sometimes it's a positive connection, and it's something that goes on in this connective part with somebody you've known for a long time. I want to take an illustration from something that happened to me quite a few years ago, and I tell this story with permission of Lou Vendon. When I was a new senior pastor at Campus Hill Church, I've only been there a couple months or even less than that, and uh, Lou, you gave me a call. and You said, uh, hey, you want to go with me down to a senior pastor meeting? It's not anything real official, but we just kind of get together and we chat about books and different things, and, and I think you'll enjoy it. I'll come by and pick you up. And I said, okay, this is good. We got down there to this church in, in, um, near Los Angeles, and uh, we sat around a big uh, area where we had kind of easy chairs, and the host that particular day, one of the senior pastors started off, and he started, um, well, I wanted to say pontificate, but maybe that's not the word I should say, but he really started talking about how wonderful everything was going in his church, all the programs they go, had going, all the musicians, all the professionals they had going, he just was going on and on. I thought, ooh. So it came to the next person, and it kind of continued on the same theme, the next person, and I was starting to think to myself, boy, wait a minute, I've only been there a short time, I, what am I going to say when it comes my turn? Uh, I don't know what to say. I was the youngest senior pastor they ever had, I wasn't so sure of myself, I had all kinds of self-doubt, and then it came Lou's turn. Bless you, Lou. <laughs> And Lou uh, kind of stopped, and he thought for a minute, and he says, guys, I'm really, really happy for you. That's really great that you're, all these things are going so well in your church. That's great, but I'm just not so sure what I can tell you that's going so great. In fact, I wake up most mornings wondering why I'm the senior pastor at the university church. Oh, relief. Lou became vulnerable. And instantly there was a connection within. That moment, positive connection. And I said to myself, hmm, Lou is willing to drop the mask and be vulnerable? What a lesson that was for me, because that's where we really connect. 
We don't connect in those moments when we're strutting our stuff, folks. In fact, what happens when we're strutting our stuff? We start to pick up on that and our radar goes off, doesn't it? Kind of turns us off. Not really sure it's authentic. But we have some of our deepest connections when we realize our vulnerability and embrace our human side. And I think many times the church has spent too much time and energy trying to look good or its members focusing on looking at what I can really show off. When really we're human, we're always going to be human until Jesus comes. It's something we can just embrace. Living loved, loving others, has a lot of good effect on us in the body. A lot of benefits. I'm not going to spend but just a couple minutes talking about this. One of the things that they're finding is that it changes the brain chemistry. Some of you know this a whole lot better than I do. And uh, as we connect with people, the brain chemistry changes. And we kind of sync up, they call it, with a person. And we see ways in which we can connect with them better and understand them better. And they're talking about how blood pressure can go down, the stress levels go down. We feel, I love this part, calmer, friendlier. Hmm, I said to myself, where can I get a can of that stuff? You can spray the rat in the ventilation system, you know? Marvelous effects. They're seeing that it has an effect on wisdom. And I thought, wisdom? Well, they're talking about that when you really connect with somebody, that your oxytocin levels go up, your brain reaches out and grabs in the picture from the past better. You can make better and wiser decisions. It also talks about connection improves our resilience. And resilience is talking about when we go through those tragic things in life, even the little struggles in life, those transitions that can be very painful in our lives. When we reach out to somebody else, we make better decisions. If we have a call, let's say you have a call from a 14-year-old, it's your niece, and your niece says, you know, I'm just fed up at home, and I think I want to move out. Can I come live with you? You might give an answer right in that moment, but you're going to give a better answer, the researchers find, if you say, hey, give me a few minutes, I'll call you back in 10 and you get with somebody you know, somebody that you appreciate, and you talk it through, that connection will give you better answers. It also helps us with mental health. All these different areas are a part of this connecting. Now the last one I want to share with you is that living like we're loved and loving others is really good for healthy religion. Going back to my times in which I did patient groups, I did a patient group called Spiritual Development. I did it for a number of years. And I used to ask the question, how many of you have had a bad experience with organized religion? Consistently, 85%. I did that for a number of years. It didn't change by very much. 85% had a bad experience with organized religion. That bothered me as a former pastor. I said, what's going on here? So one day, I said, okay, folks, 
help me out a little bit here. And what I did is I, I, I took my marker and I went up to the whiteboard and I said, help me understand. Start giving me some words up here. How would you describe this? And they started telling me things like rigid, judgmental, perfectionistic, exclusionary, etc. So wow. I chewed on that a little bit and I came back another time and I said, okay, I'm going to put these words up here. Now let's put some feelings with them. How did you feel? Guilt, shame, unforgiven. And it began to dawn on me, wow, this beginning to explain why people have had a bad experience with organized religion. Churches can get sidetracked. They can get off balance. When they're not focused on living like we're loved and loving others. And it sounds almost too simplistic, doesn't it? But it seems to be the case as I look back. Let me give you a couple more examples. I can remember looking back when I was pastoring once. There was a nearby church that got very focused and making sure people were doing right and they were preaching right had debates and things like that going on. And uh, what they didn't notice was all the young people were leaving by the back door. I think of another time in which I had a friend come and talk to me, and he had gone up to Northern California. And um, he was thinking about moving up there and shopping around for some property and, and looking. And he, I'm not going to name any churches, but it's not one you would think of long ways away, and he visited this church. He stayed over the weekend, and he went there for the, the church service, and he stayed afterwards for the, the potluck. And he thought it was rather interesting that several people came up to him and asked him about his diet. I just, you know, I think there were three people asking about the diet. Finally, somebody came up and said, well, you know, here at this church, uh, we want to be 100% vegan by the end of the year, and if you come here, I sure hope you'll fit into the plan. Well, that's getting sidetracked. The good news, though, is that when we are really living like we're loved and loving others, it counteracts this kind of thing, and we begin to see a difference. I've been a member here now for, I guess it is, 23 years. And I've seen many examples of how people connect, and I've experienced it myself and seen the tremendous change that it can make. It's recent for celebrating, folks. It really is. There aren't many churches that can celebrate like we can. And we need to savor what we have, and we need to expand what we have. We've got to be careful about not patting ourselves both too much on the back but we have something good going. And sometimes we don't always know what is good and what isn't. And I want to share with you just a couple real quick experiences in closing and how I know this is a healthy place. So one of them, I'm sorry girls, I have two daughters here I believe and I'm going to tell a little story. So when we came here, our twins and were about, I'm going to say, probably about five, and our oldest daughter was probably about seven. And uh, I hadn't been here very long, and um, I was up front up here, 
And I, I had noticed that something was going on right over here about where Kathy, Jerry, Mary, and that right over there. Something was going on over there, but, you know, up here you don't know and you don't want to really check on it too much. I didn't really know, but I just know there was a commotion on there, a little bit of giggling and laughing and a few other things going on. But I found out after church, little did I know, the three daughters had um, packed up their little baby bunnies and they had put them in a bag that had a zipper on top and they wanted to play with them during church. And they wanted to play with them during the prayer. You know, eyes are closed, no one's going to see. Mom didn't know what was in the bag. And so you can just kind of picture this, can you? Six little bunnies getting free and three people trying to crawl onto the pews and grab them and bring them back in. Oh, great way to start off a ministry. <laughs> After church, my wife informed me what happened. I didn't know what, what all was going on. I just knew something was going on. I just want you to know there was never, ever a moment of judgment. Ever. Support. I heard somebody say amen. I've said that many times. There are so many moments of connecting, and these are the building blocks that lead to the deeper relationships that support us when things go wrong, when they're tragedies. Let me just share two of them real quick. I don't remember, it wasn't, uh, I think it was about 1989, um, got word there was a fire going on out our way, and it started over in Banning, it was moving very quickly. Uh, in a westerly fashion, coming up on Highland Springs, and then starting to move around it. So by the time I got home, um, it was evident. You could see it over there. The helicopters were buzzing around. And then they came by with their mega horn, and, you know, you got to evacuate and all that stuff. And we live kind of up against the hill there. So we were quickly throwing stuff in the car, getting ready to go. And I went outside with what I thought was about my last load, and I put it in, and it was getting dark and smoky, and I heard a car door slam. I looked around, and there was Niels Nielsen. And I said, Niels, what are you doing here? And Niels says, well, I'm coming home from work. I heard about the fire. I was wondering, is there anything I can do to help you? I said, Niels, thank you. But the fire is closer to your house than it is to my house. <laughs> Thank you, Niels. I've had other times when I was caravanning with some of you folks going out to Lake Powell and going up the Baker grade and transmission gives out. I get on my CB and I say, breaker, breaker, or something like that. Hey, I got problems. And whose voice do I hear crackling? Ron Moran's, I'll be right back. I'll get some tranny fluid, I'll be there. Those are priceless episodes that we carry in our heart. Those are things that make a difference in a church. That's how a church becomes attractive. That's why people want to go there. That's what brings the energy up and the vitality of this church. We have that connection. We have reason to celebrate. When I was young, I didn't hear very much about connection, reaching out to others and, and kind acts. I just didn't hear much about that. Maybe it was there and I just missed it, you know. I'm not really sure, but 
I don't remember. What I did hear about was things like Bible study and uh, Bible promises and evangelism and um, there's just a number of things like that that really I thought about at that time. But you know that isn't all we need in the ingredients for a healthy dynamic church or for ourselves. We need more than that, don't we? We need to add in this thing that kind of seems like, ooh, positive connection. I'm not so sure. But it's so important for a church, and it makes that church balanced, healthy, and vital. And I see it almost every Sabbath we close out here. Um, I see Mick in the back there, head deacon right now. And, and Mick, I don't know if my observation is right, but it takes you over an hour to close the church once we have the, the benediction. Why? You folks are all clustered around talking. <laughs> it's good. And I see people praying together, and I see people sharing trips together, and then I see you, hey, you're at a restaurant and lunch together. These were healthy things for us to be doing. Brennan Manning wrote a number of books, and one of his books was entitled The Signature of Jesus. Impressing, impressive little book. And in this book, he makes this statement. He says, the early church was so successful, not because of spiritual gifts, not because of the doctrine, but because they had found the secret of community. The secret of community. And I believe Kalamesa has found that secret as well. Reason to celebrate. God in heaven, we thank you so much for initiating and reaching out for each one of us. We thank you for that love. May it penetrate us in ways that perhaps we didn't even know and make us to love and care about others. We thank you for the joys and for the success of this church. Make us better attuned to those who are around us, we pray in your name.